You're listening to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger, here with my co-host Tara Connolly. Hello. Mike Connolly. Hello. And our guest today is Ryan Martin of Deus Records and Robert and Leopold and countless other things. What's happening, Ryan? Hello. How's it going? Quite good. How you doing? Uh, tired and exhausted, and, but it, all in a good way. <laughs> all right. Well... We uh we thought it'd be fitting to discuss the life and works of Herman Nietzsche, and since you had met him and are a fan of his works, we reached out and and uh, you agreed to talk with us about that about those works. So thank you very much for that. Very excited. Uh, we've all been just digging in for the past week, uh, exploring and re-educating ourselves, and uh, very excited to to see what comes up while we're talking here. Yeah, it's great that you're tired and exhausted because you are not yeah. living that lukewarm existence that yeah. <laughs> Niche did not want. So way to no. go into the extreme. Yeah, no, he would have been disappointed if I was just sitting around doing nothing <laughs> or oh, if anyone was sitting around doing nothing. <laughs> Absolutely. And yes, uh, Herman Nitsch did pass on April 18th of this year. And, you know, somebody who... When I know when Tara and I discovered his work and the Vienna Actionist, it was this absolute opening of what art could be. And it, it was just at a perfect time. It was when we were getting into noise, it was when we were getting into all this stuff and discovering what these guys were doing since the 50s and 60s. It was just absolutely mind blowing. Yeah, no, I, 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 since, since Herman had passed away when I had gotten that news, like, obviously the kind of first thing you do is kind of do a deep dive into yeah. not so much what you missed, but what you really enjoyed. And, you know, I guess we can discuss that, uh, you know, at certain points, but I was also just kind of thinking about the bizarre timeline that not just Herman, but, you know, Gunter Bruce and, and the rest of them, like the really strange timeline that everything followed from and kind of the way I think Americans kind of interpret that work versus how Europeans and maybe, or maybe not even Europeans, but the rest of the world interprets mm -hmm. their work is, you know, I've been kind of like reading a lot and about him and stuff like that in preparation for this. And so I was like, you know, I, I felt it was really strange having four Americans <laughs> discussing, <laughs> discussing Herman Nietzsche. Cause I'm like, yeah, we definitely have a far drastically different interpretation or, you know, concept. It affects us far differently than it, I think it does Europeans and stuff like that. So it's been, it's been really kind of wild and, and interesting to be, I don't know. Yeah, I just never really thought about that. In it's weird for in twenty some odd years, twenty five years, I never once considered that. Right, and and yes, exactly. The the three of us, myself, Taryn Gray, are certainly fans. As far as we've never met Herman, we never worked with him, we never went to the castle, so we're coming at it purely as fans of his work, whereas. Ryan did get to meet him a number of times, did get to stay at the castle. So 
That is the reason we wanted to have you on. Sonically, we were really impacted by a lot of the sounds he made, whereas, you know, also visually, and at least that was my foothold into this entire world uh, that opened up to all of the senses. And so I'm sure it'll be different from the way he inspired everyone else, but just the absolute joyous chaos, um, the the violence, the death, the transcendent glory and gristle of everything he does. I mean, it's hard not to be impacted by it. It's hard to to not be um, absolutely in awe of Nietzsche's work. So, Ryan, what were some of the thoughts that came to you in this going deep and really contemplating his work? The initial thing was how a large chunk of the time I've always, and, and I don't think I was off base in thinking how cathartic all of it is. And I guess coming from it first on a visual sense and then the mute, the music or like any of the audio recordings, you know, I didn't have access to that till the early 2000s. And so, and it was the, um, there was a, a West Coast, it was an American label actually, it was that a Corda foundation right um, i think that's where a lot of people first got familiar with at least the music that the record slash cd set with the just that striking cover i think it was it was certainly our first introduction to it yeah and and i think that's that label was really integral in getting people outside of very niche either uh art circles or like, you know, that kind of art world insular kind of thing. And then, you know, I mean, a lot of those records were, are still impossible to find. Um, and certainly were then kind of pre, you know, internet kind of whatever. But, um, I feel like that label is what certainly got a lot of, you know, people on this side of the ocean and probably worldwide too opened up the audience for the first time to what he was doing um, with music because he was just known as a visual artist, you know, and, and not to say that people didn't know about the music, but again, it was super insular mm-hmm. and very like, yes, he was a big deal and a massively famous artist during those, like in the eighties, nineties or whatever. But, you know, were people really, were young people having access to any of that work? No. I feel it was Cortical Foundation, and then it was um, I'm I'm kind of spacing on the publisher, but um, it, I think it was Atlas or something that did the uh, writings of the Vienna Actionists. That was that the book. big one for for me was yeah. where I yeah. I had never experienced this stuff, and that one completely opened my eyes to this whole world of the Vienna Actionists and stuff because the cover alone you, you see cover it was amazing, and you and you now you have to read this damn book. And then in reading it and seeing all the photos of the actions and all of these things and, and reading about them and the artist's thoughts behind them was, it was really eye opening experience for me and helped me process art in a different way. So I, I greatly credit that book with sort of changing my view on, on what art is and what it can be. Yeah. You could find that book anywhere too. Like I remember coming across it in in almost every bookstore i went to so i think it was the distribution and i feel like that book turned a lot of people 
onto yeah. all that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I forget when it came out, maybe the late nineties. I think it was so. 90, 99. Yeah. I, I mean, the first time I, I had even really heard about him was I accidentally went to an art opening that I did not, um, I did not intend on going to, I didn't know about it or know who they were or anything. And um, actually I have the poster up on my wall. I just got to see what date it is. Hold on. 98. I had a look. It's up, it's up in my hallway. So it was like 1998. Um, I was going to meet uh, a friend of a friend and down in New York, we had come down and uh, I can't remember what the circumstances were, but we were supposed to meet somewhere and it ended up, I got the ad, I wrote the address down wrong or whatever went in and then was waiting out front and I decided to go inside the gallery and it ended up being a photo exhibition of all the Vienna actionists. Wow. Wow. Randomly by accident because I kind of, I looked, I looked in and I was like, you could tell from the street, it was like, wow, this kind of looks insane. And it was somewhere in Midtown. I can't really remember, but like I have the, poster hung out and stuff and it was just a photo exhibit and they had some like other kind of smaller like i think it was like books or something like that in the cases and so but then it was like cool i saw this i have this poster and then what you know and then it was like yeah a year or two later that i came across the writings book and that's when i was like could lock in a bit more and figure and kind of wrap my head around it and I'd say probably around, I think it was like right after Y2K or whatever. I remember getting some, oh God, it's got like a galaxy on it. The Harmony of War. 1 through 12. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's got, it does it, am I remembering that right? Does that yeah, have like a no, galaxy? Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yep. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's <laughs> nebulas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's some, there's some definitely nebula action happening there. And my God, that's, uh, I had oh, only two of them. Amazing. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. Um. And from there, I was able to then, you know, things became a little more accessible, especially being in New York City. You know, right. things were definitely happening here more, like getting getting that kind of material and stuff. So that was actually, thankfully, a happy accident that I stumbled upon a, <laughs> an exhibition I didn't mean to go to. It's an incredible accident. And yeah, the... Yeah. His his work sonically is, you know, those those harmonium work records and, and recordings and the organ stuff is just these incredible drone, intricate drone pieces that those are you could just have those on all day and just mm-hmm. oh, yeah, let it absolutely. go. And they're incredible. All right, when I got them, that's all I did. I would just have them on and go about life you know yeah. like there's no need mm-hmm. there's no need to really kind of pivot to something else you know on those in those moments and stuff yeah well and all of his sound work is strangely transformative like it definitely affects you when you put it on in whatever you're doing and it's it's funny to think of people that would know of his work through all these different avenues right because there's obviously the actions the performances which are these you know even on a smaller scale, they seem to be a very huge affair with, I know even, yeah. even like a single day or a few hour action has days of rehearsal and preparation and mm-hmm. sourcing and production going on for these things. And then when you look at something like the, the six day celebrations, but then there's also the, the paintings, which are sometimes a process of these actions and sometimes made separately. And there's also the music and there's also 
live music during these actions, which is very much in the vein of the other stuff, this very dissonant, heavy orchestral uh, din, you know, and, and mm-hmm. constant tension and, and crescendo. And there's so many different things to sort of soak in all of this, not least of which is the actual performances themselves, which often, you know, it's blood and meat and crucifixion and nudity. And it's, it's a total overload for the senses. Yeah. And I actually, have you, did you ever listen? I think it was recent. It was recently reissued um, that, uh, that like acoustic reaction or whatever, the first record that came in like a cardboard sleeve or whatever. Yes. And it's kind of interesting because it's like, a recording of 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 like a early action or whatever but it's really just kind of field recordings of an, like animals and like everything but they were all part of this kind of event and everything and it's weird how it like started is the when they decided to start recording these things because early on there really wasn't the boombasticness mm-hmm. i think right. i feel like that came in and I'm sure someone will be like, that's not true. I, I, I feel like it really became a forefront in like early 80s. Yeah, I, I, th- I do think that is because he, I mean, he spent a lot of time planning his theater and, and planning mm. these things and developing the thought for it. So, you know, even very early in school, he had the idea to do it. But having the means to enact such a large vision, I think, took years and years, which is, is just so impressive to, to stay with it. And I, you know, seeing the work of like a great artist as they, as they build and build, you know, into their, into their great works. It's yeah. Very impressive. Yeah. I, I mean, personal opinion is I feel like Herman never had a, a lull. I never felt like there was any right. work where I was like, eh, you know, like everything was stellar. Sure. There's certain like maybe visual works that, you know, appeal to me more that if I had to like pick a favorite, you know, I certainly could, but like, you know, a lot of artists kind of go in waves at, uh, like everyone does, but like his, I felt like consistently held your attention and was consistently incredible. Yeah, that Even Beirut on the Valkyrie, like October 2021, he did the the four hour film screening um, of, of Wagner Die Valkyrie, and mm-hmm. it's gorgeous. Yeah, like it's right it's to, orange and green yeah. and yellow, and it just really pops against a white background, and then the the artists are all clad in black, and they stand out against that backdrop and it's just a totally different color scheme than you're used to but it's so massive and impactful it's it's really wonderful and that just happened oh wow i totally missed that where was that at uh it's and you can see the the movie is still playing at the uh niche museum so I, i think it's going until the end of this year if i'm not mistaken and then also if you go to the the niche museum.org then you can see stills from it and, and read the concept outline behind it. It's really gorgeous, but you know, even, even seeing, you know, different color work, that's not just, just stark viscera 
or red and black and white, like he uses other colors. And even, even at that time, like using the, the yellow of the grass, the yellow of urine, like all of these colors that evoke feeling within us. And I, I was reading that he, he even taught a class on rethinking color and, and the huh. way that artists use color and contextualize color. And I'm like, what a, what a perfect person to teach this. Yeah, I, I actually uh, attended a live action painting of his in New York City. Uh, this is about 12 years ago, I think. And it might, I'm pretty sure it was at somewhere called Mike Weiss Gallery and, in Chelsea. And I was pleasantly surprised that how much color there was. Cause I, you know, I think everyone that maybe went was expecting a bloodbath or who mm -hmm. knows. And, or at least a lot of reds and blacks, like you said, but it was, I, I go there and you had to put, you had to sign a disclaimer, not that like anything violent was going to happen because it wasn't that kind of thing, but that your clothes might get ruined from all the paint being thrown around and you got to be okay with that. And they had like little covers for your, um, for your shoes. And so you get those and you go in and it was really reverent and quiet and yet not uncomfortable and you're just watching him and you know a dozen or so assistants one and there was one main assistant doing these live action paintings and there was definitely a process to it and it was hyper methodical the whole time so it wasn't just a free-for-all there i don't think anything was a free-for-all even though it seemed kind of chaotic even in the early days mm -hmm. um I don't think any of it was, you know, I think everything was methodically planned down to a T. I definitely think so. And, you know, obviously we're sort of discussing this as people who have been looking at his work for, you know, a couple decades in our cases. But for anyone who has not heard Herman Hitch's music or seen his performances, his main life's work was the Orgies Mysteries Theater. And this was an idea that he that he came up with in the late 50s, even before mm -hmm. all the actions, the Vienna mm -hmm. action stuff really was starting. He outlined it. He had outlined a six day yes. performance back then. And it was something that it was something his life's work was constantly working on it, constantly plotting it, constantly planning it. And. There would be he he did do a a twenty four hour one he did a three day one in the eighties and it was all ended up leading up to nineteen ninety eight when the six day performance did come to fruition and this performance took place in the castle that he lived that he lived in Prinzendorf Castle how do you pronounce it Prinzendorf the Prince's Castle yeah which is the yeah. the name of the actual town too right and having gone to the town. It's pretty much just the castle and there's like a couple, there's a street down the street with a, like five buildings or something. There's I mean, a the bar footage down, of there's, it, a, there's a bar down there. It looks <laughs> hey, incredible. And, and he was able to acquire this castle in 1971. They acquired it and it was something he was building towards, again, since the late 50s. And, and he wanted to do the you know, the concept of the complete work of art. Yes. And that's exactly. And I will not say that in German. Right. I, I, it's, the, <laughs> it's that word that I've read a million times and I know yeah. I'll always say it wrong, but it, the idea that it is all five senses are being 
stimulated at all times. And and if anyone hasn't seen any of these performances, you can see some clips online in different places. But ultimately, it's a group of I, I guess I don't know exactly how many performers. It's hard to tell because they're all dressed in white. Well, uh, as the day starts, you're yeah. you're all in white. It feels like a hundred. You're going to yeah. eventually be completely covered in blood and entrails. And there's going to be some some performers will be completely nude. Some will have blindfolds on. Some are being crucified. Some but, are bound in chairs and being carried on sedans. Exactly. And throughout all this, there is real entrails of pigs, bulls, cows that are being Lambs. manipulated. They're being torn apart. They're being crucified. There's paintings going. There's grapes being stomped on. There's wine. It is this absolute entire work of art that lasted the 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 performance that it was building to lasted for six days and there were about eight hours a day yeah that there would be the performance with the music going and it's just this all-encompassing theater and it is truly i remember seeing it for the first time just absolutely jaws dropped couldn't comprehend yeah. what i was seeing and he frequently described yeah. it as the dramaturgical abreaction model of performance so the like it is a a something that is being enacted, something that's being played out, something that you are in the middle of as, as though you are experiencing this in life. And the ab reaction would be, you know, something that not evokes catharsis, but exposes repressed e emotion and repressed feelings and and brings all of those things to the surface. Yeah, there's that kind of method of therapy that's sort of like that, where and it's based know, upon that and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yep, yeah. ab reaction. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and and that's exactly what he was talking about for so long. And the 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 entirety of these performances. Yeah, I mean, I you. We I've only ever gotten to see video. I've only we've only ever listened to it. We're missing out on the smells. We're missing out on the touch. We're and the length of time, like the you know the yeah, performances with eight be, hours. Yeah. So you know, frequently beginning with bringing an animal, actually slaughtering the animal by a professional butcher by a professional. It's an animal that was already going to be slaughtered, mm -hmm. um, and then. Having that, having those smells, bringing out grapes, bringing wine. People are drinking wine the entire time. It is, it is, you know, fueled by Dionysian energy. He was really inspired by the the concept of um, Apollonian Dionysian dualism. Um, you know, Nietzsche frequently spoke about it. And so really bringing that to play, like having people drink, getting that feeling of smell and touch and intoxication during this entire lengthy experience. There, There's also, you know, other, other fluids, like when you talk about the, you know, there's, there's blood, there's urine, but there's gasoline, turpentine, ammonia, yes. vinegar, hmm. like there's, there's all of these things. Plus there's incense burning. It's a, it's a complete sensory overload. There's uh in addition to the grapes uh, in videos, I'd see a lot of tomatoes and people smashing yep. tomatoes amidst like oh, entrails. So good. 
and I actually found a video of someone who who was an actor in one of his theaters in Australia. And she talked about the the performance, the preparation and how completely exhausting it was to be a part of both leading up to and just even a three hour action was completely draining. And then there's a part in this interview where she's showing off all of the bruises from her participation in this performance. And she's covered head to toe in bruises and talking ecstatically about being a part of this thing and also how sort of controversial it was. And I think that's a thing that never stopped with his work when you're working with some like blood and urine and animal carcasses it's i know it's 2022 and you like people think it's all been said and done but that people are still going to be outraged by those sorts of things possibly forever when you're dealing with crucifixion you're going to evoke some very strong feelings well yeah, he went to jail kinda, for blasphemy yeah he went to jail three times and yeah, the first time it was it was with a lamb carcass i believe that was the performance mm-hmm. and it was a private performance if i'm not mistaken yeah he talked about that when i had met up with him in in not in vienna we had met up in the at the museum which is in mitzelbach and hung out there and the car ride back to prinzendorf we were in the back seat and like kind of gave us a crash course on like how this all happened of how he got Prinzendorf and like what it was like living there at first like it was pretty rough <laughs> well, so what so what exactly did he say with that well I, yeah. guess, I guess like the the kind of just to jump back a second like how I even ended up there in the first yes, place yeah was, let's let's get yeah. let's let's get that because so, yeah wow. we're already you're already at the castle how the heck did you get there oh my yeah, god how do you get to the castle um it was very random and unexpected. I will say, like, we weren't there to go there. They're on completely separate business. Uh, we were in Vienna. I was with um, Genesis Pjorge in Vienna to do this kind of poetry sort of event that took place in a park there. I, I can't remember fully what the name of the event was. But we had a few days to hang out like in Vienna for whatever reason they like brought us there and we had like three extra days. And so I'm sitting in the restaurant, like having breakfast with Jen, like, what do you want to (laughs) do? And she goes, you know, I have Herman Nietzsche's phone number and they're friends and like knew each other, but like kind of just peripheral and like had each other's numbers, but you know, whatever, like, I, I don't know if it's really his number still or whatever. You know, I don't even know if it's really thing, but I think it's his cell phone number. We should try and give him a call. Wow. And I go, just uh, like, yeah, we should try and call this number that could be Herman Nietzsche's cell phone number. <laughs> and I'm like, no, not going to happen. Like this is, but so Jen, we go into my room. I mean, Jen's sitting there and Jen's like, let's try it. So Jen calls and I just remember her sitting at the table in my hotel room and going like, just calling it and going, Herman, Herman, is that you? Oh, it is you. It's Genesis. Yeah. Wow. I'm in Vienna. <laughs> I'm in Vienna. Wow. And then Jen, oh my God. And then Jen going, give me a pen and paper. Like, and like, okay, so we go here. You'll meet us here. Okay. And then hangs up. And I was like, well, wow. clearly that was his cell phone and he picks it up. And like, she's like, <laughs> wow. Yeah. She's like, I didn't, she goes, honestly, I didn't think he, that was going to work. 
<laughs> and I go, so what do we do? It's like, we got to catch a train somewhere and take it to a place called Mitzelbach. And from there, his, uh, an assistant's going to pick us up and going to take us to his museum. We're going to have lunch there. And then we're going to go hang out at Prinzendorf, which is like a half hour away. Oh my God. This I'm is like, great. Okay. I guess this is what we're doing. Sure enough. Wow. We take, we figure out the trains in Vienna. We take it outside of Vienna. It's about like an hour away and we get off. There is a uh, Charlotta assistant um, who's still a good friend. And uh, she picks us up. She's like, I, I assume you two are, uh, you're the two that are here to visit Mr. Niche. And I was like, yes. And I was like, okay, we get in, we get to the museum and Herman's just waiting in the uh, cafeteria, like the cafe part. He's just hanging out waiting for us. <laughs> And we're like, oh, and he's like, oh, such a surprise that you're in town, you know, like, I don't know, like, I guess just was hanging out and just so he kind of gave us the tour of the museum, which is incredible. I guess it used to be a tractor factory or something oh, or my a God. farming farming factory or something like that. And not a factory farm, but like they make like farming equipment or something right. and they abandoned building and they turned it into this beautiful museum. and conveniently there was another man there old about herman's age and that guy was the one that took all those photos in the early 60s the one that got in trouble and actually went to prison or jail or whatever with herman one or two of the times blanking on his name right now but he happened to be just hanging out there and he had an exhibition up of like his new his new photos not like old stuff there's tons of his old stuff just permanently right. in mm-hmm. the museum, but he was having an exhibit of like his new, like kind of Photoshop photos, like digital art kind of stuff. And um, Herman is like very loyal to this guy. And he had mentioned it a couple of times. He was like, I'll do anything for him. He went to jail for me. Like when we went to jail together, like we didn't like narc, like kind of narc each other out. Even right. though it was like, you know, but you know, it was nothing like that. That guy was like, totally down just as down as the rest of them and he was the one documenting it all because you gotta remember mm-hmm. like yeah these photos of these herman niche accents while well, herman niche is in the photo he didn't take the picture like who's taking right. the pictures mm-hmm. you know it was this guy and he happened to just he was the one he was hanging out with him in the cafeteria like when we got there and he was there and he's like oh he's got an exhibit up and his his friends are gonna do a music performance in the other building or whatever we're like okay cool wow, like what are the chances that the one day that guy's there? And it was really cool to meet him. And then walked around the museum, got a tour, and they have a lot of Herman's sheet music up. Which is so great to look at. so cool. So beautiful. I mean, their artworks in themselves. And he was just talking about how he doesn't really know how to read or write music, but he does know. So he came up with his own system because he goes, well, I know notes and I knew how chords worked but I didn't know how to actually write them out. So I just came up with my own system of how he would envision writing it out, which is makes sense. Cause it's like, as long as you can read it and reperform it, why do you need to use the lines with the little, you know, I mean, that's you what know. the actual musical notation is, right? Someone came up with that way to denote. Yeah. How to play yeah, just it, like, so. We got to figure out how to write it. So it doesn't work for everyone. I mean, in, when you open up like Ableton or something, which is funny because, that's what his sheet music reminded me of, like the grid system in Ableton. Yeah, because it's, it's more all graphed. these long bars, mm-hmm. it's all graph. Yeah. And so it kind of looks like these like really nice kind of like, you know, kind of weird minimalist op art kind of stuff. And um, 
so yeah, he was talking about how he came up with that just so he could be able to replicate music, like write it down and have it replicated over and over again. And it would always be the same and not just give vague instructions. Again, he's very precise about it. And so we went all through the museum and in the basement of the museum, there's this really strange installation. And I, I was told it was permanent and it was like an apothecary shop. Or that's what it looked like. I shouldn't say it was like a, it was like mm. an installation. So all around the the walls, and then there's these like kind of bureaus and everything, and they're all holding like little glass jars. They just look like a weird like apothecary shop from the 1800s. But it's just kind of it was really strange. And I, I you know, I always wondered. Like I always wanted to like look into that because I didn't really get the full scoop on what it was. Mm-hmm. They're like, what, what is this in relation to everything else in the museum? Cause the museum's massive and it's just like only his work. So it's just giant blood red paintings going like kind of as far as I can see, like I have some photos of in there and it was like just vast and like overwhelming and really powerful. And then there were separate rooms where there was just photos of actions over the years and they're just floor to ceiling, like collaged sort of but it's just like wallpaper essentially so it's a lot to take in yeah did anything retain a smell i know not that because i think the paintings that were up were a bit like later i think they're just all paint you know mm-hmm. or because there was there was also called you know you start doing the kind of altars with the um the cutout tees with the yes, um, yeah. yes with the sh- with the the garb the religious garb that's in it and mm-hmm. then painted within it there was it, it was a lot of that kind of period of work um in there but that apothecary shop i always meant to like look into because it was wow. far different than it was an installation and there's definitely a lot of time put into it and a lot of there's a lot going on in there and I didn't really catch yet like what it was all about. And I've always had a note of like, it, there's gotta be something in a book about it or, or somewhere. And I, the so alchemical I'm, office. <laughs> yeah. And it was strange because we hung out in there for a while and I actually have a photo of Herman and Charletta, like pointing to things and, and whatever, but, and we were just like kind of wandering around. So then we decided to go back to Prinzendorf. And we were in the back seat, and I think Jen had asked him, you know, how did you, how did you end up with a castle? Because <laughs> that's like kind of the obvious question yeah. when someone has a castle. And he had said, and his English was decent but limited. Um, he had said that he had received um, some insurance money because he said at that time. He wasn't, he had no money because he was just doing actions. He wasn't paint. He would paint early on, but he was more interested in these performances and these kind of happening or actions, you know, and how do you sell those? And there was photographs, but they weren't, you know, that wasn't the, there was no commerce involved in it, which is also remarkable that he was like able to survive because he's just making work that is, that's before the kind of sellability of hard conceptual work. This is before really conceptual art was really like it was around, but it was really hadn't taken hold in the commercial sense. So he said, I got some insurance money from his first wife had passed away in a car accident. And he even said he go because I know I just remembered why that came up was 
his assistant Charletta had uh, made a turn and like someone had kind of cut us off on the road and he got very nervous and you're like, and he goes, I'm sorry, that's not your fault. And he kept apologizing. And she goes, it's okay. It's okay. And he goes, I'm so sorry. He goes, I'm really jumpy when like things like that happen in a car. He's like very nervous in cars. He goes, since my first wife had passed away in a car accident. And he goes, and that's how I, he goes that. And then that led into the story of how he got. And so he goes, I got some insurance money from that when she had passed away from a car accident. And he goes, I had to make a decision, um, move to Germany. He goes, I was going to move to Germany, but it was so expensive to move to Germany. So he goes, either I spend all, use all this money and move to a little dinky, tiny place in Germany that I can barely will be able to afford and can't do my work in, or I buy this abandoned dilapidated castle. That's got nothing. It's like an essentially an abandoned structure in Austria. So he goes, I bought the abandoned place in Austria because he goes, wow. I figured I'll figure it out. He goes, but there he goes, there was no utility, like no electricity and, and whatever. And he goes in this town, Prinzendorf, it was out, about an hour and a half outside of Vienna, middle of nowhere. And, and he goes, the, it's one of these kind of like leftover medieval sort of hamlets where it's like there's, and when you say castle, it doesn't look like a, you know, a castle, like with a moat around it, you know, like how we think of British castles. It's right. more like a manor like kind of thing, but it's right. massive. Mm-hmm. It's got its own chapel on the inside. It's like unreal. And so it's this huge, I forgot who had it before. He kind of told us the history of the place. It was the Catholic church. Did they have it? Apparently. That's what we, we read that it was the, they, the Catholic church owned it. I don't know what exactly what that means, but that is what we yeah. read. There's a chapel inside of it. So that okay. makes sense. Like yeah. up in like where the rooms are, like going on a hallway in the bedrooms. And all of a sudden at the end of the hall, there's like a chapel that he's decorated all very niche style. So it's a private <laughs> chapel in there that only holds like 10 people. It's like tiny. Mm-hmm. And it was really cool to go in there. But he said like there was someone that had it, I want to say during World War II or something like that. Someone got possession of it or whatever. Okay. It just And then it just fell apart. And he said, so he got there and there's like a little town attached to it. When I say a town, it's like a couple, like a handful of buildings and like a handful of people. And then there's like little towns outside, you know, there, you know, all right. these rural kind of European kind of things connect. And so he goes for the first few years, he didn't really have water or like electricity or anything like that. So he would oh go God. down to the, the bar that uh, how I know there's a pub there is because that's where he like showered and everything. Wow. And he's the, he's, yeah, yeah. He totally was like, he's like, I didn't have any money. I couldn't like, you know, there's holes in the ceiling, the holes in the roof. So there's just animals living in there with him and stuff. Wow. And he's just like, you know, hopefully I'll get some cash. <laughs> wow. And, um, and he did that for years. And then he said, anytime he would get like a little bit of money, he would like fix a hole or like put some, and that's why when you see when those are the early theater ones, like in the late seventies, early eighties, you can, you can chart how much nicer it gets over time, especially yes. when he starts painting becomes a more, the, the relics of the paintings become more of a, of a commercial object or whatever. And so you see that the place gets nicer. Like, you know, like, oh, yeah, because when they pointed it out, I then back then I had looked in, I was like looking around and watching those videos and you see like, oh, yeah, those early ones, that whole grounds in the middle is all dirt. 
and now it's like all grass. It's like actually really nice. Wow. And I'm like, oh yeah. It's like, well, I got some money now. I can plant grass here and like not have it look like a bullpen, you know? Um, <laughs> and so he said it was really kind of rough living, but that he totally enjoyed it. Like he is like the best decision he ever made. And he like loved it. He was like, it was like roughing it, but he was like in his element and he goes, I could paint, I could do whatever the hell I wanted to. And I had all the space in the world. And yeah, he's a guy that's, you know, the master of his own universe and Prinzendorf became the universe of it. And so he said, that's kind of how it fell into place. And then it wasn't until he said, he goes, I was known but like known in a tabloid sense in Germany and right. Austria. And he goes, I would get asked to do these kind of things at museums and galleries, but he got, he goes again, there were just performances and they were just kind of here and there, but he goes, there was nothing. Couldn't really make a living doing that. So it was like, I would, he said he relied on like when he would do get asked to travel, to go do something, he would ask for like a fee or something like that, you know, or you, you get paid to do those things. And so which I found out in the early seventies, he did an action in my hometown before I was born. I think it's 73. And I found a couple photos from it no at, the local at the local museum. Wow. And a friend of mine dug up because I guess the curator, the head curator of the museum got fired over it. They like totally fired the guy. They're like, what are you doing in our museum? And like, People and it was in the newspapers, like how this guy lost his job. I have a book here right we now. Have a that timeline. <laughs> and so this would have been the Syracuse, action at the Everson Museum in Syracuse, yeah. New York in nineteen seventy-two. Oh my god. Seventy two, yes. Okay. Wow. I have a photo from it. The photo is amazing of a guy on a cross, like this kind of like you know, the seventies kind of art hippie guy with the sideburns and mustache, just like right. crucified on a cross <laughs> in the Everson, a place I went to all the time as a child. And I was just like, wow, it was like a few years before I was born. And it was, and I said, I, you know, growing up there, I definitely know how people react to things. <laughs> that was not the market. Like, you know, right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they're not the most open-minded people up there. So it's like, uh, but there are a small number of them that obviously work at the museum. And the guy lost his job. They fired him. And then all these people were pissed. Like, our tax money is going to, like, some naked guy covered in blood, uh, crucified, like, you know, in the middle of the museum. And my friend pulled um, uh, pulled uh, some of the news clippings from then, like, and sent them to me. And the uh -huh. news clippings are just newspapers just ripping it apart. You know, this is, this is ridiculous. Like, you know, and I guess a state senator got involved. Like, oh, my God, we're using tax money to, blah, 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 you know, that whole. Wow. wow. Infamy followed him. <laughs> yeah. But I was like, wow, something really incredible happened in my hometown. Who would have thought? Like, you know, um, few, a few incredible things. But, yeah, it was um, that was the one. It was, caused quite a brouhaha. So, um so yeah, he, that's, that was the story of how I ended up at, at Prinzendorf. And, um, and what was it, how was it when you were there? I mean, was every room, um, I know I they say? put a lot of money into re refinishing and refurbishing it. And they're right. working with the, yeah. you know, the equivalent of the national historical society to make it accurate to the period of its inception. Or yeah, to at least he, make it an out an art home. Yeah. 
yeah no it's it was really nice like i mean it was really nice but it wasn't like you know it was just like really beautiful and yeah you just it was yeah i don't want to say humble but it was yeah it was not there's nothing lavish about it but like right, it's right other than its size and so it's kind of like there's that main house like the the kind of manor and then there's a square in the back and underneath the house there's a giant arch that kind of goes through it so you can it's like a main gate i have a photo of all this sitting in a kind of picnic table and we're just in that arch that's kind of like the hangout wow. spot it's like the patio and um you go to the front and that's like sort of the front door, but there's no, it's just goes out to vineyards and stuff like that. So you kind of enter through the side gate and you end up in the square part. And that's where you see a lot of those actions, the theater ones, they all kind of take place in that square. And so, and when I say it's a square, there's like a kind of series of smaller little buildings that you, um, one of them does keep animals. While we were there, there was definitely like a lot of animal action happening. He's got a lot of pets. <laughs> But like, <laughs> they just seem to have taken over and like... I already had like 30 peacocks, a flock of yeah, geese. There's rival peacocks. There's a huge peacock, I don't know, war going on. It's on a the pecking property. order. Oh. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, because he said, he goes, I started with two peacocks because there was a peacock fight while we were sitting there drinking. And so we we're having, we we're having niche wine. He has oh, his own beautiful. brand of wine. And these giant bottles that I, I I believe you can only get there or like in Vienna or whatever. Wow. But the vineyards are close by because they pointed them out. They're like, I don't know, down the road a bit. And he has his own wine. So we're sitting there drinking and a peacock fight. And in, in, I didn't realize how nasty those things can get. Wow. And um, he goes, I started with two. And I realized how fast they kind of replicate. <laughs> And he goes, they just started having babies and babies. And then he goes, a couple of them just wandered out and started hanging out in the front, the, the, um, the tree in the front yard and others stayed in the courtyard. And then he goes over time, they've kind of turned into two separate families. Like they don't know that they're related. So the tree ones kind of started breeding and like they stay in the tree or whatever. And then the ones in the courtyard have their own family and they hate one another and so that's what happened one wow. of the courtyard ones went out and got near one of the tree ones and they flipped out and i was like i was like what's going on i was like wow he goes it's, oh there's it's it's a whole thing there's peacock, peacock drama here yeah. Wars. <laughs> yeah. yeah which i thought was really cute because he thought it was hilarious he's like i right, started right. with two now there's like 30 <laughs> like, yeah. and they've gone through multiple <laughs> generations you know ones have died new ones have come these but then there was like a couple i remember there being like like goats and stuff and they just kind of hang mm -hmm. out and they're just like just doing their thing and they kind of like part like part that makes the square like some of it's kind of like low level like barns or something like that where they kind of can go and sleep and hang out but they just kind of roam around the other buildings were more like um studios sort of but not not the studio that he works in there are studios that kept like we went in one that was like in these fixtures it's like crazy you see all these old rafters and everything and it's like i don't even know how old these buildings are but they turned it into like this place where all his prints are kept like a print archive and everything mm -hmm. like that was in one of them and it was beautiful like when and then when you go in there and you're you know uh uh herman's wife uh rita was showing us around and she was like, oh, look at this, look at this. And I'm just like, this is overwhelming. 
and stuff. And it's just like really mind blowing to see all these different kind of rooms on the grounds. Then I remember getting a tour of the house initially, the man, the main manor part, and then going through and it's just like, just gorgeous, like just gorgeous. And then at the end of that hallway being taken into that chapel was, was really beautiful and special. And there was a big, I remember there was a big gong in there and stuff like that. I remember oh. tapping that. Well, before we were like, uh, Rita was like, let me show you around. I'm going to show you the house, show you show everything. And she goes, before we go, we got to ring the bells. And in the courtyard, and I should have a video of it on my phone, there's these giant church bells of different yeah, sizes. Yeah, like four I've or seen five those. of them. <laughs> yeah. And she goes, each one of us had to grab a string. She grabbed one. I grabbed one. Jen grabbed one. And I think Charletta might have grabbed one. And we all had to pull them down like really hard and they're really heavy. And then they just ding, ding, ding. And we had to do that. And then she's like, okay, now it's time to go. Like, now let's go take a tour. Oh, and the so, largest one in some of the actions you can see, like whoever is having to pull it has to like, like jump and put all their mm-hmm. weight into pulling it down there. So it's so yeah. heavy and big. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's huge. I have a video of them. I'll have to, I'll just send you guys Please. all the videos <laughs> and the photos. Rita seems so so cool, like from everything that I've read about her, that she likes, you know, she takes part in organizing the actions and and really, you know, had a big hand in organizing, you know, the the entire property in the home. So, yeah, that's it's a lot of it is due to her vision and her like love for Herman and just in love for the work. And yeah, she's just such a, a. kind of beautiful wonderful you know kind of spirit of person um every time i've seen her it's like we always like you know, you know saw her at like a couple of the exhibitions here and when herman did an organ performance here yeah it was like she's she's incredible but yeah she gave us the tour her her actually her mother was there visiting who wow. didn't speak any english um but uh took photos for us <laughs> like you know like, <laughs> awesome like, yeah, she was visiting that weekend and she was there. And so, yeah, no, the property was like just mind blowing. It was just like kind of walking around. I'm like, I can't believe I'm here right now, you know, like, and not like, in a like I'm participating in an action. There's an event. Like I came here like earlier that, that morning I woke up, I was having breakfast and this was not on this the was, agenda. It was not <laughs> in any way something you thought you were going to be doing that day. I think it's and by lunchtime. Some, I'm like yeah. in Prinzendorf and I'm like, okay, this is how my day netted out. So not fitting. <laughs> yeah. It was, I mean, it was absolutely incredible. I really, I really like had an amazing time. And then, um, the one really special thing that, uh, I personally got to do was so I was like, um, let me show you up in Herman's studio. And I was like, Oh wow. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yes. Which is the entire attic of the the manor house like the castle and it's got like you know cobblestone floor because it place is insanely old and it's multiple kind of just these long kind of corridor hallways i I remember like maybe two or three or something like that just massive amount of room and you go up there and there's just like tons of paintings around some in work some finished some kind of early Arts of ones, but they're just like seeing kind of where the magic happens is always beautiful. But like, is, is seeing the p- kind of process 
and just being able to walk around in there. And it was just like, uh, it, was, it was unreal. And I, just to, to be in that process, you know, just to be in there and like, you know, take it all in was really incredible. And so, yeah. And then we went downstairs and I, I, we had sat down again and we were eating and having some drinks. And I said, wow, your studio is really amazing. You know, I go, are you working on stuff right now? And he said, usually he, what he does is he kind of like, I don't know, I don't want to say hypes himself up, but he gets like prepares himself. Like he goes, I try and get a lot of stamina or strength, I think is what he was trying to say for a few days. Cause he's like, I'm going to go paint for a few days. And so he just like gets ready, gets ready, gets ready. Just so the endurance, then he goes up there and he like just power paint. Like he just like goes crazy. Wow. Like he just like nothing else matters. I'm hammering this out. Like I'm just getting this done. He goes, I like to do it in these bursts, like just like, boom. And then he's like, and then I get really exhausted or whatever. And then I'll stop for a few days, do other things or whatever. And then try and build up the endurance enough again to go up there and just give it. He's like, I want to give it my all. I want to give it everything I have. So I really have to like, like almost like working out for like a, a boxing match or like an right, athletic. Right. It was totally athletic. Hyper focus about it. Well, it sounds like <laughs> the same kind of ecstatic energy of his actions, right? Like the, mm -hmm. this nonstop energy burst over a long form of say eight hours a day for six days, something, you know, in, mm -hmm. in that same mode. And, you know, it's such a, a central theme to his work too, sort of rebirth or reawakening. And I, I can see, building up to that and then exhausting all of that energy and exhausting all of that and then kind of clamoring for it again and trying to build up to it again to get that same release. It's, it's interesting to hear that he worked that way and not in his, not only his actions, but in his paintings. Yeah. Yeah. I, and you could, cause you could see that there was like things like, it was almost like everything had like a very abruptness to it. It was like, that's finished. I can very clearly see that's finished. And I can very like, you know, sometimes there are people are working. It's just like, oh, it's everything's in a state of flux. It's just like hard stop all over the place. Like, you know, <laughs> and very methodical and intentional. Like everything was just like laid out on these saw horses. And I'm like, okay, I, you, yeah, you weren't, uh, nothing was left to the imagination there. Like it was just like, it was really powerful. Like that the whole system he had going there. When you see the performances too, especially the the later stuff, you you see him observing and directing, and obviously having assistants who know what to do and have a very clear directive. And methodical is is I guess an understatement even to the way this stuff worked because when you think of an orgy as as these are called, right? You think of chaos, and there is a certain sort of chaos and frenzy to it, but. It also has a very strict plan that it all adheres to. And it's it's strange to think of that, like the slaughtering of an animal, the dousing of people in blood, the crucifixions, the the fruits and meats and intestines and all of these things having this also like very specific order and process to them, that it's not a free for all, that it's not a uh It's not happenstance. It's no very specifically decided. Yes, it's, it has. It's brimming with intent. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, part of the concept 
that he frequently references is the ideas that Nietzsche discusses in The Birth of Tragedy, and that's exalting Greek drama as absolutely merging the Apollonian and the Dionysian principles, which would be the fact that they take something like thinking and chaos and they blend them together simultaneously to represent the human experience. And, and it's just like you were saying, Gray, that's what he's trying to do is like, this thing is clearly so planned out, but at the same time, it represents this, you know, frantic chaos. It's, it's creativity and, and it's structure. And, you know, the idea that Nietzsche brought forth, the idea that Nietzsche permeated through his work and that you can really get something evocative when you blend those concepts together, when you don't look at the dualism, when you merge the dualism. Have you, have you ever seen um, any of his, the, I don't want to say they're like line drawings, but they're not the yes. kind of yes. action yes. They're, which they're, I they're, think they're, are the, the most remarkable drawings. thing. Yeah. Yes. And they're so ahead of their time. Yeah, they're really ahead of their time. And because it's almost like these kind of like colored illustrations and stuff. And there's a there's a lot of them at the, that I saw in person in in, in Mitzelbach. But um, I notice a lot of the prints that they do are kind of of smaller ones that I, you know, see on like on the market or whatever. And but I was looking at them and there was these ones that were like, almost like a maze. And I, I had asked him because he was, he was standing there and I go, Oh, what I go, what were you trying to illustrate here? And I was expecting like a really crazy wild answer, like very long. He goes, just these alien worlds. I was just seeing in my head or like he said it in a very kind of <laughs> up sort of way. But what he's saying was, the alien worlds he was seeing in his mind. And I was like, and, and then he's just like, stop. And he's like, that's it. Like, and I was yeah, just yeah. like, okay. Like, I was just <laughs> like, well, that is exactly what I, I he almost like stopped. Like, uh, well, what do you think of it? Like, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I look at it, I'm like, well, yes, that's exactly what it is. Like, you know what I mean? Like, why did I even bother asking? Um, <laughs> that, I, I I was the idiot and like, you know, and, and I'm like, well, they're, they're really amazing. He goes, yeah, they take me a really long time to do. And I'm just like, I bet like, cause they were like huge too. Yeah. And they were just this like maze. It was like a maze. It was almost like a puzzle and maze. And then it would go into these other things that were more condensed and layered and then open back up again. And I'm like, you could stare at this thing for 10 hours and not even like kind of figure it all out. It was unbelievable and then there was the ones of the people like certain people are disemboweled and everything but it was like yeah he did that one didn't he do one of like the last supper yes yes love it yeah and then drew massive maps yeah yeah like there was like the there was like a whole series it's kind of strange how those you don't really see those a lot everyone brings up you know everyone like portrays when they're talking about herman it's the the kind of action paintings, the splatter paintings, and but I'm like, you know, he was a a really gifted illustrator and draftsman, and you know, that's how he got into school because he dropped yeah. out of regular school and then and was accepted to a school for design. 
1961, Nitsch had met Gunnar Bruce, um, Schwarzkogler, and Otto Mule. Oh, it kind of says all. So ba- basically, 61 okay. is when he met everybody. The crew. So they made, that I don't crew. know, before that. Which is also wild that, like, while they met and knew each other, they operated completely independently of one another. Like, there wasn't really a scene. They just were like, if you're doing that kind of thing and there's uh, three others that happen to be doing it, you kind of are friends by default, you know, because, you know, who else in town you're going to hang out with? Kind of right. Thing. And th- each of their works is so incredibly personal and yeah. unique, even in operating in this same sort of thing. There's obviously a common thread to the actionists, but the the work is so personal that how are you going to involve someone else's vision in what you're doing? And, and the answer yeah. is they, they didn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, seem like, just, they don't seem like the type of people that need to fit into a, um, yeah. a click. <laughs> yeah. They're not looking to collaborate really. Um, and man, why would they, you know, and it's, it's interesting to see where they all started from and how they did get lumped together. I think it's just an identity thing and wasn't there doing, and then a geographical rad- thing. Yeah, exactly. Like they just happen to be in the same place at the same time and how radically different their work all evolved. Yeah. Especially with, you know, Gunter Bruce, um, Herman's, I feel like his work like went on this, like, I feel like he was kind of the, I don't know, grandmaster of the whole thing uh, because his work was very clearly defined. Like, like, uh, like Tara was saying, like, he was writing about works he wouldn't realize for another 20, 30 years, you know, mm-hmm. 20, 30 years prior. And so he was sort of his, his arc went the way it should have been. There was nothing like, again, there was no filler. There was no, and we weren't left in, in the dark about where this was all going to go, you know, right, to Bruce, however, I don't think we, at least me looking at the whole, you know, scope, looking back on the whole scope of his work, it, it I, I was definitely surprised how his netted out from like where he started, where he was going in the early seventies and then where he ended up in even late seventies and especially in the eighties. Um, it's beautiful work, but it was almost like fantasy level. Um, and he, was, he, and he ended up developing into a really, really incredible illustrator and painter. And um, Otto Mule kind of just went off the rails. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that that is just you're just like okay, <laughs> that's <laughs> that, that that's horrible. And then Schwarzkobler, uh, you know, I think he only did like five or six actions ever. I think there's only a handful. I, I know it's like less than ten or something. Very few. It really does feel that that Niche was really the one that that took it. I mean, tr- literally to to the end. I mean, but, he took it as far as he was physically able to but take it. But we were discussing this early, Mike and I were, um, about how it, I, I think what Niche did was he, even early on, really attached to archetypes in such a unique and personal way that it, it and they're not done in his use of skeletons, his use of viscera, his use of bodies, his use of just having the archetype of a chalice of wine, even uh, religious iconography, it it doesn't come off as cheesy and it doesn't come off as um, 
lighthearted. It, everything has such a, a beautiful weight to it. And Ryan, like you were saying, with the the use of mazes and maps, and they're and they're so impactful mm-hmm. that I think that you know him being influenced by psychology, being influenced by Freud, and um, and use of psychology and artwork and, really, and religion and religion and, and all of those things that, that humans are bound to. I, I think that it, that puts him on a, on a different level, especially in the way that you experience, you know, everything he touches. Yeah. I think he was the most, the most, like you said, the most human out of all of them. Like he dealt with subjects that any, anyone can relate to and deals with on a daily basis. You know, and I think that's why mm-hmm. a lot of, I mean, yes, there's the whole interpretation of how this all started was a bunch of people in that region uh, dealing with the aftermath of the war, you and know, being bombed daily as a youth. Yeah. yeah. But also mm-hmm. Vienna, Vienna, you know, Hitler, Hitler wasn't born in Germany. He was a product of Vienna, you know, mm-hmm. that's where he got his start. And so there's a lot of guilt and a lot of, you know, um, uh, you know, wanting to repent everything that had happened because these are people that were born during, during it. They're all, all these guys were born in the late thirties. That's a real crazy time to grow up. If you're born in, in the middle of it. And then by the time you're able to really comprehend thoughts of like, that you're going to remember that affect you growing up is like when you're maybe like, early teens maybe seven or eight or whatever this is after so this is right after the wars ended and it's just pure punishment you know for what you did what you what look what you did to the world you know and And he lost his father in the war yeah his father died in the war too and so you know there is the whole it starts of just this cathartic repenting for and the pent-up like guilt and everything like that I think like, like we said earlier, like everyone else kind of went their own kind of ways with it. And it was Herman that really was like, no, I'm not, I'm not over it. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not over the guilt. I'm not over the the repentance. I'm not over the kind of the humanity of the whole situation. I felt like Gunter Bruce was the one that most obviously shed the human element of it. Well, like I said, with all, all these kind of fantasy works and stuff like that. And uh, it was Herman that was like, stayed the course, I felt. And really, yeah, he became, I don't say like a priest or anything like that, or an evangelist, but there, there, there is an element of that. Oh, there, there totally is. And I think that he's dealing with all, all these actions and especially the, the, the orgies, mysteries theater, it's still dealing with reality and it's dealing mm-hmm. with these symbols and archetypes and imagery in in reality and that's using real animals real intestines real people and mixing it with then paint and canvas and the so you get this entire thing that ultimately is talking about reality and dealing with reality well he said practicing art is a celebration of life life occurs in extremes pain-free moments are sought after tragedy and death are overcome yeah like what a philosophy for that art yeah and it's kind of boiled it down (laughs) 
the participants in the actions are referred to as actors. And I had seen, I'm going to paraphrase here a quote from him where he says, these actors are not acting in a role. They're acting as themselves. They're taking these mm-hmm. actions and they're, they're meant to feel the blood and the animal carcass on them and the, the crucifixion and the stress and the smell, the sense and feel the, the liquids and these things. And it's meant to open them up to a sort of rebirth so that they experience the world differently afterwards. And they can appreciate it with a new set of eyes and a new set of experience behind them. And I, I found that really powerful because that's one of the things that even looking at the work and even being exposed to this work when I was younger can do. Now, I'm not an actor in one of these things. I'm not taking, you know, I'm not participating in this, but just the ideas behind it are so powerful that it can give you a new appreciation, a new way to look at things. And that, that really speaks to something to me. That's, that's a really kind of powerful concept to imbue your work with. Yeah, you know, it's a uh, uh, fun fact is I was visiting um, uh, Zoe DeWitt, um, who used to run Necrophile, um, was uh, an actor in, um, I want to say, more than one action, but oh, definitely wow. one. Had to, but we have, sc- uh, let me scan the photos of them in the action. This is like in the 80s. Um, but I think a couple times, I think it was more than once. The photos are unbelievable. They're really amazing. Uh, Daniel Lohenbrook touching Alf has worked a lot with Herman in, Mm -hmm. in recent years and released and recorded a lot of the, some of the albums that came out in the later 2010s. And was he in any of the actions as far as you know? Uh, Daniel, I don't know, but I, wouldn't be surprised if he was right. Um, but I, I don't know. I've never asked him. Yeah. He's credited with recording a lot of the stuff that, yeah. that Tush and Alf put out. Yeah. Um, and I feel like uh, Daniel deserves a lot of credit for bringing a lot of Herman's work to kind of uh, an audience that would compose of like people like us. Um, like, you know, like, like I said, we find, you know, I, it's like, I knew about the stuff and I would, my entrance to the audio works was, you know, cortical foundation, but like, I feel like Daniel really, uh, reinvigorated that after, um, cortical foundation kind of sort of ceased activity after that mm-hmm. terrible yes. accident with Gary Todd. And so I feel like Daniel stepped in and would not let this stuff fall by the wayside or like not even fall by the wayside, but also like continue it. Like this stuff is still happening. The stuff is still going on. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's probably why he's recording it. So, you know, Daniel deserves a lot of credit for really a lot of people, even, you know, younger than us or whatever, being able to access some very arcane material by by Herman nations I kept bringing up cortical foundation and it's like I know that horrible accident it happened to to Gary um who's the owner of the label and I know Gary Todd and Herman were very close but I never know knew what happened with Gary or with cortical after that like yeah I'm not sure no, because yeah. it was such a. I mean, again, yeah, this that was our exposure to exactly. this stuff was yeah. was all the stuff they were releasing. But no, I was actually thinking that when we were pulling out, you know, the the stuff, and I was like, what did what ultimately where did a lot of this go? Well, that's another mystery we'll have to 
dig into. Yeah, because yeah. um, I, I know he was involved in a fall that paralyzed him and everything. And so, but um, I never, and I know Gary was very close with Herman. Like they were like, beyond just putting out those records, they were like close personal friends. Mm-hmm. So, and I know Rita spoke very highly of Gary as well. Like everyone seemed to, I never knew Gary. Um, so, uh, but everyone involved in that, everyone, everyone that knew Gary was like, spoke nothing but amazing things about, about him. And, but that label really helped get a lot, a lot of just things outside of even Herman niche. But I know everyone in the niche camp very much adored, very much adored him and stuff like that. So did yeah. Genesis ever work with Herman? No, I wish they talked about it just when I was there. That would be amazing. I wish. Well, I know like the initial connection was, and I don't have a copy of this, but there was someone did a thesis for, I don't know, their master's or doctorate or something like that. And comparing the works of Genesis and Herman Nish. Oh, wow. And I I remember I saw, you know, how sometimes like they'll publish, like, I think it might have been a PhD thesis because it was made into a book. But I think there was like Mm -hmm. three copies of the book and it's like that thick. And it's like, wow, I I think I opened it up once and then it's just like footnotes to footnotes to just like, this is unreadable to anyone that's not an academic. And so I think that's how they kind of got in touch or connected or something like that. I think they're both aware. They're obviously both aware of one another, but weren't. Right friends or anything and there was that that had come out and somehow they were like connected and then later on there was a woman named katie schubert um whose husband was i remember an art dealer emilio she somehow was connected like knew herman or something like through that and that kid introduced them and like went out to prinzendorf and stuff like that and and i knew katie and stuff so that's how we all kind of got looped in together. I do remember, though, we were sitting there at that picnic table, hanging out after the peacock bite. And it was, I can't remember the exact wording, but Jen had given Herman some books, about, like Jen's recent, like whatever book that had come out at that time or whatever, and some other things. And Rita goes, you know, it was something like, they go- she's like, I Googled you. She goes, I knew you were an artist and, you know, but she goes, I didn't really, wasn't really familiar. She goes, I Googled you and started laughing. And then <laughs> and like, but like slyly and Jen goes, oh, don't, don't believe everything you read on the internet. She goes, <laughs> she goes, she goes, no, yeah. She goes, I, I read about all the, all these bad stuff you did in the seventies and, you know, and all that. she goes, we, we like that kind of thing around here. Like, kind yes. of like, you know, like <laughs> it was like, kind of Amazing. like, she's like, We've been the victims of the news. I mean, Herman went yeah. to jail multiple times over it. Yeah. Like, indecent and all that stuff. It's like, yeah, we're attacked by the media constantly and stuff like that. She goes, we knew you were like one of us. Like, you know, like yeah. we like uh... what, you, what you do around here. And Jen was like, oh, it's nice to be around like-minded people or something like that. It was really sweet. But she was like uh, laughing. She's like, oh, I, I Googled you. And Jen's like, oh, no. That's a you beautiful know? kinship. But I mean, yeah. She's, like, same, she's like, no, you're I, I liked what I saw. I liked what yeah, I saw. You're looking at two artists who've been in trouble with the law in their day. Yeah. So I think yeah. there's certainly 
uh, a connection. And obviously the cum transmission stuff there, he, he certainly was aware of, of what they were doing in the sixties. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cause that mm-hmm. was, that predates it by like a good decade or so. It was really nice. It was cute, you know, but like, yeah, two people that not only got in trouble with law, but never watered it down for anyone. Like definitely <laughs> like, no, it was all always on their terms and their terms. Unapologetic. Only. Yes. Extremely unapologetic. And that's what Herman talks about is living life intensely and living it with intensity. And that's something he absolutely did. Like, like you said, Ryan, there's no lulls. There's, he was living life, whether or not it was, there was times when it was more, there was more spotlight on it or, or what have you, no matter what he was doing, it was intense, whether or not he's drawing these intricate mazes, whether or not he's doing these long drone pieces, whether or not it's these, you know, putting together these actions, it was living life intensely. Even even to doing the actions for no money, right? Just continuing forth and planning out the day that he can finally do, you know, the, the six day orgy mystery theater, like the, mm-hmm. the final day that this is going to happen, just really, you know, waiting. And it, I, I don't know. It's just, it's just so beautiful to see how his life unfolded. Yeah. The day he, I found the morning I found out that he had passed away. The first words on my mouth was like, wow, but what a life to look back on. Yeah. Like, you know, I was like, mm-hmm. if someone, if, you know, when we all get to that point or whatever, it's like, you want to be able to look back and go, well, not a minute wasted. Like, you know, it's like, I always hate Mm -hmm. to think that I'm going to look back and be like, wow, I worked a bunch. Like, you know what I mean? Or like, and I think, yeah, no, exactly. And I think that's, that's what we can take away. You know, it's obviously been sad in these past few years, you know, we have lost people that we know or, have met or have been super inspired by, but you know, we talked to earlier this year, we talked to Dave Phillips and who had worked with both Tom Smith and Peter Rayburn. Mm-hmm. And we asked, you know, his thoughts about that and kind of said a very similar thing. He's like, you know what? Those guys lived every day and lived yeah. to the last day. And Herman is exactly the same. He, I mean, he made it to into his 80s and there was no stopping. Like Tara said, he was he was doing stuff, uh, you know, earlier, you know, late last year, early this year. There there was never an end. And that's that's what I think we can all take away from just pure inspiration and living that life intensely like like and even transforming tragedy, transforming inner turmoil into something that we can all connect with on some level to, to have that ab reaction, like his album for his, his first wife, Bayat that passed away in an accident, the Rhapsody to Bayat is an album he did, which is absolutely just stunning um, record. And I know like moving forward with that and then, you know, moving forward with, everything that went on in his life. My, my favorite, one of my, one of my favorite, like I love his words, but um, when he says that our life is, our life takes place between excess and emptiness, 
Like, yeah. you know, isn't that how it feels? Yeah. Like, yeah, that's you know, definitely where it, fall, it all falls down. <laughs> right there. We all have Jeez. the moments of excess. We have those moments of emptiness, um, you know, in our lives. And then, you know, that's when our life is happening. Right. Right. In that. Yeah. Pocket. What, what yeah, year I, did you, were you in uh, Vienna when you first met him? Oh, uh, I want to say, um, I think it was 2010 or nine. Okay. Yeah, I, might be, was the, and, I might be off by a year. Well, was, that, was that the first time you met him or had you met him in New York prior? Um, I was at, a, I was at that live action painting. Okay. That so that I, was prior. Oh yeah, yeah. Cool. I can't remember if it was before or after. I time think it was is just a, a I, big, hey, yeah, yeah, time is like, like a Herman Niche painting these days. If you can get a days, five year window, I'm proud of yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just I, a blur. I'm down to like about two or three years in that, but I think it was yeah. like uh, between the 2009 mm. to 2011 mm. range. Right, right. Um, I know, I can't remember which one came first, but there was the live action painting, which, you know, yeah, I didn't talk to anyone there, but I, I feel like I had already gone to Prinzendorf at that point. But maybe not. Right. I, I can't right. remember. I mean, it's, I, would have um, to look. I think the and painting then, was 2011 or 12 because I watched a thing about that on YouTube as well at the at the Mike Weiss oh, Gallery. Really? There, yeah. there, oh, there's a thing on YouTube. Yeah, there, there's a oh. woman that, that from Artnet that goes and interviews him and and is talking about it. Oh wow! Can you see Ryan? Oh, I, have to, I have to watch that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. am I in there with my booties on? Have <laughs> <laughs> stuff on my shoes. <laughs> um, but uh yeah because they were there was just like shit on the floor like all over the walls it was it was amazing i actually have photos from it but they were like i guess to tell you how i guess it was a while ago because i remember taking them with a blackberry <laughs> taking pictures oh, oh they're so they high quality the, yeah yeah they're amazing quality um but you can see what you can see what's happening like and um i, I can email those to you um but yeah i have those and then so then there was that and then over the years, uh, came through New York for like exhibitions and stuff. There was two great exhibitions. One, uh, Hauser and Wirth did of all early Vienna actionist artworks. So it was kind of all four of them. Um, but it was like, like Herm, uh, man, these Gunter Bruce paintings from like, uh, they were from like 60 or 61. They're unbelievable that oh, were in that wow. show. And then these early Herman Niche paintings that are like, just monumental it's it's crazy because he's like great ones then just really was dedicated to this whole kind of performance and theater and like really kind of connecting with like more like these actions or whatever and then kind of came back into painting a little later like almost like had to focus on these other things and then we're like okay i gotta come back to this and then and, and then always it seemed like the paintings the way that people have always described them where the paintings were always secondary to the performances. Like the paintings never took precedent over, but I don't know. Some of those paintings are so powerful that like, I mean, those, those performances are powerful too, but me personally, there's sometimes I just look at a painting and like nothing else matters, you know, and <laughs> nothing else is really going to affect me the same way. And some of those paintings, there's definitely some of those paintings that were like that. But um, that that show at Hauser and Worth was really incredible in New York. I can't remember the year, um, but I have a they did a really beautiful catalog, too, for it. It's 
somewhere in this hellhole of a of an apartment. <laughs> oh yeah, and, we know that. Uh, yeah, just piles away. I think it's in another room. I'll find it was, in ten um, years. It's okay. Yeah, I'll find it when I move or something. Um, but uh, <laughs> and then um, there was a second show that was at another gallery. I can't remember the name, but it was uh, in the Lower East Side. And this place was kind of under construction, and there was multiple floors. And it was like they had his paintings hanging up on walls that weren't finished. And they're like, well, the the building, the gallery's under construction or whatever. They're like, are they just built a second floor on top or something like that? So it was like, man, you didn't even put drywall up or like or there's drywall <laughs> up. You paint. And it was like, you're looking at the paintings, you're like, this is kind of awesome like this. Like maybe this was the right move, like to do it right. like this. And those, a lot of those paintings were somewhat recent. and there was like two or three in there that I was like, who do I have to kill to own one of these? Like <laughs> right, it was right. like, yeah. I would, I would never leave my house. If I had that hanging up, I could just stare at this. Oh, goddamn <laughs> day. Oh, they man, were so amazing. unbelievable. And then, uh, and then I, I think I have a photo. Cause I remember I met up with uh, Genesis and Roxy from uh, Roxy Farman from wetware um, met up with me there. And um, Rita was there and Herman and everything. I think there's a photo of all of us at that opening with Rita. We're all standing there. And then afterwards, they're like, oh, I think it was the next day or maybe two days later, he was going to do an organ performance in the gallery, in the downstairs. Wow. Wow. And, but it wasn't like advertised, but it was like, it was also very confusing because you had to get a sort of a ticket to it, but they weren't publicizing it, maybe because it was like small. And so, I went to that. I was like, well, yeah, I'll totally be there. Yeah. And I already went. And that was really cool. They just had this big organ and he comes uh, out. And again, like it's got like canes and everything, but nothing's gonna stop him from doing right. what he what he's gotta do. And then was he, he was playing working. with the sticks and everything? Yeah, that's what I was gonna I was just gonna say, yeah, like these wooden beams. And mm-hmm. it was all like putting them down. And then I think an assistant kind of brought one slightly prematurely. And when I say prematurely by like 15 20 seconds and he's like no 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 like you can see him being like oh, <laughs> now's the time like you know oh, he's, like, he's count, counting it out like you know yeah. what i mean and i'm like i wonder what the numerology was in his head of like going through those things but i always wondered if it was recorded just because there was only about like 30 people there oh it was what? Small, that's small, so small incredible scene. yeah maybe 30 40 tops like 40s like it was but it was just like some sets of chairs or whatever. And um, it was unbelievable. And I remember Genesis showed up late. I had Jen didn't go with me or whatever, but I just remember halfway during it, Jen comes in. I don't know if you ever were around Jen much, but she always had this like thing of keys. So it's like, you know, attach a belt loop. They're just really loud. She's just clanking. And it comes in with Roxy or whatever. And um, it's clanging. And then, Herman's completely like, you know, in the zone. So it's like nothing's yeah. happening. And I just remember Rio turning around, almost like being like, who's that? And then looks and it's like, it's Jen and like smiles. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, and waves Jen. Yeah. And like, oh, it's Jen. It's totally cool. Like this makes sense. Amazing. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and then Jen sat down and um, yeah, yeah. I just, I, I have that for some reason I have that like weird memory in my head. So thought I'd share, but that is yeah, a, I, beautiful memory but see yeah, that's what's I, so important because we all can't be in part of the actions like we keep saying like who was in an action who was in an action and yeah 
to have the the paintings as you know something physical that we can remember from it having the recordings as something that we can interact with in a different way like that's so important yeah i i, I i've always meant to ask if that if someone had to have recorded it i'm assuming it'd be neat if someone put it out just because i was there so it was like kind of nice <laughs> uh, and it wasn't like a big event either it was like very tiny like it was in this gallery and it was like 40 like i said 40 max i think like there couldn't have been i don't remember there being a lot i mean it was full but like couldn't fit that many people in there that's so. that's an amazing memory it's going to live with you forever and now and now with, with all us, of us and everyone listening yeah and i think i ran into chuck you know chuck bettis i'm pretty sure it was him i ran into him on the subway like the earlier in the day or like I, yeah i think I, I think it was on the subway or something like that i ran into him and he's like oh hey what's going on I go, I don't know. You know, I'm just running some errands because tomorrow or later this evening, uh, I'm going to see Herman Nietzsche play his organ kind of performance, private thing. And it's, he's like, what? He's like, Herman Nietzsche is doing an organ performance in a gallery? And I go, yeah, in the Lower East Side. And he goes, how do I go to it? I go, I don't know. There's this like website link. And I guess you get a ticket through it. And I go, hold on. I think I just gave it to him right there. I go, yeah, you just go do that. And he goes, holy shit. He goes, I'm really glad I ran into you. <laughs> like, he goes, I wouldn't have known yeah. about that. I go, yeah. Do and and sure enough, he was there. Like, I was like, I was like, he's like, thanks for the tip. And I'm like, yeah. Synchronicity. Well, well, look, it's like yeah. the experience you had in Vienna when you yeah. just, yes. you had no idea. Having, what... having breakfast. Like literally we were having breakfast yeah. and wouldn't it be funny? Like, or not funny, but like, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, have, I go, yeah. I go, do we know? I go, do I know anyone in Vienna? And the night before we had met up with um, Peter Rayberg. Oh, wow. He took us, took us to a bar. It was like a book. It was like called like Charles Bukowski or like Bukowski bars. It was something like that, or right. it had some Bukowski theme to it. I forget, but it was like near the hotel. And so and he like took us there and like hung out and stuff. It was really nice. And I go, do I know anyone else in Vienna? I think it was really just Peter Rayberg. I didn't really know. I just kind of cold called him and he's like, yeah, I'll hang out. Like, and just kind of rolled out and had a, had a nice time. If that you're in Vienna and weird. don't have anyone's phone number, you can still go to the museum quartier. And also Schönbrunn Palace for uh, an enjoyable time sightseeing as well. Oh, really? Well, you know who I was trying to look up was um, a music project I, I've done in the past um, and, and still do when the when the moment uh, come, comes to me uh, called Hanel Koek. It was named after a woman that's in some of Herman's actions in the sixties, the woman that was being crucified with the, the dark the, oh, black hair. Oh my God. She's name. so she, cool. She's stunning. Oh yeah. Amazing. So I do yes. a music project named after her. Oh, amazing. I had heard from a friend that she was still alive and that she taught at university of Vienna, like taught like a, a course on sex or like sexual history or something like that, or like some department. I, there, that, that was all like hearsay. Like someone had told me that, and I was trying to get in touch with her. I wanted to go visit her while I was mm -hmm. there and wasn't able to. But then I asked Herman and Herman's like, oh, yeah, I haven't seen her in a while, but she's around like she's totally around. Oh, wow. So he's like, he goes, he's like, but I haven't talked to her in a long time. Oh, I mean, you really so have to be a comfortable person to have those intestines in the places that she did. Um, yeah, just, yeah. She got, she's she got phenomenal. Loose. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And she was, uh, you know, yeah. Uh, she was kind of involved with a lot of different 
kind of artist she was like kind of in and out with um so yeah i was trying to hunt her down and so then it was like who else do i know and jen was like <laughs> well you know i have herman's phone number i think it's a cell phone and I was like, "That's no way. He's he has a cell phone. Like, you know what I mean? Like, right, I can't, no I did, that's you probably actually, can't have a I landline there, though. Everything we've discussed today, <laughs> that might be the most shocking. I can't picture him. I can. I could. I can only picture him with some archaic." communication device i can't picture or he Herman takes calls at the bar phone. down the street like that's <laughs> yeah, yeah, his phone yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. call them and they'll go down and get them or yeah, something like that. yeah someone comes out yeah. in a cart yeah uh, mm-hmm. and yeah yeah so that yeah and picks him up and just, goes down and calls just throw a tomato at his window exactly yeah but um he uh yeah but i and the thing is i don't even think it was his cell phone but I, whatever cell phone it was was to get in touch he just happened to pick it up though right that's so and then like within a minute he's like Herman, it's Genesis. Yeah, I'm in Vienna. I'm just like hearing the conversation. I'm like, holy shit, he clearly picked up. And he's like, give me a pen, give me a pen. I have to write down directions to get to his house. And like, you're just like, all right. And like, uh, I mean, I mean, I like, to what tell- are we doing? He's like, we got to get a train. We got to go. We got an assistant. Someone's got to pick us up at the train station. We got to take a train to Mitzelbach. We're like, where the fuck is yeah, that? Like, like, you know, we're going to wine country. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Truly went to the middle of nowhere. It yeah, it is. It's really <laughs> nice. I love it. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for sharing oh this gosh, incredible, these incredible stories, these incredible memories with us. And what a great way to just pay a, the little tribute that the four of us can to this incredible artist who lived this incredible life. I just feel so invigorated by life now. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he's yeah. a very exciting person. And like, we should all be we should all follow every example of his <laughs> to Abs- live your lives like beyond absolutely. the Absolutely. Live yeah. we're gonna as they say, uh the holy intensely. moment. The holy moment as he described it. And that holy moment is the present. It is right now. So absolutely. thank you for being with us in this holy moment. We That's really truly right. appreciate yeah. it. Thank you. I'm glad to have shared the holy moment with all of you. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Ryan. We'll 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 uh we'll talk soon, man. All right. Talk soon. Take care, everyone.